Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there, and thanks very much for joining us on this episode. We're going to talk about pumpkins and we're going to talk about jazz. And if that wasn't good enough, we're going to talk about jam as well. Because to begin, from humble beginnings to a fruitful operation with a jam-packed awards cabinet, you'll see where I'm going in just a moment, Valon's success continues to grow and the company believes that branding has a lot to do with it. Fresh from a successful night at the recent Blossna Heron Awards, they scooped 11 gongs. Michal O'Linard and Laura Hewson, how are you doing guys? Lovely to talk to you both. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having us. Uh, fantastic uh, on, on to win so many awards, 11 in total, Michal. You must have been extremely proud on the night. It was great altogether, yes. So it was from 18 shortlisted products, we won 11 awards across uh, a distribution across silver and bronze and one gold, which we're very proud of altogether. Now, I'm very familiar with your product because I see it on the shelf the whole time. It's often in my fridge. So, Falon, how long are you on the go? Uh, what um, what was the genesis of the company? What, made, mm. what led you to produce jam? Yeah, uh, we're 40 years on the go next year. So it was started in... Um, in the Gaeltacht in 1983 by my mother and a good friend of hers, Enna, when they were made redundant from um, a local honey business at the time. And I suppose they took their learnings from that business and tried to put something else into a jar, if you understand my meaning. So that's where Falaan started. And I suppose the, the Gaeltacht genesis is born in the name, Falaan meaning wholesome, good, um, clean food. So from there, we're here today with um, every number of preserves and luckily winning awards. I have to say that it, it's a it's a very difficult mantle for you to take up. Your mum, Maureen, sounds like a, a real pioneer setting up a, a business after she was made redundant in the eighties. There's lots of people who weren't that brave, and and then you come along and you Absolutely. have to kind of grow the business and 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 keep up that spirit. That that's a hard ask. That's it. And she had one child at the time. I could only imagine the difficulty. But you can, I suppose, she often says that companies which are born in recessions can. Um, can survive um, recessions but um, you can imagine that back in 1983 two rural women trying to start a business which which wasn't exactly which was a little bit left field let's say making preserves um, was a difficult task by all means particularly when she she has many anecdotes about, let's say, not being able to take out a loan. Or I was going to say, the bank to... manager, he'd want to have been a huge fan of honey uh, to invest at that stage. Yeah. <laughs> That's precisely it, yeah. And like you'd need, you'd need your husband to co-sign things. And at that point, my father, Padder, he wasn't in the business yet. He would come in later years and become a, a salesman and a very successful one at that, uh, known for generally his Irish language, which he kind of sweet-talked people with. <laughs> I, I love the way that you, very similar to the lads over at Ballymaloo Foods, you started with the markets and the sides of the road. Do you have fond memories yourself of being, uh, I'm going to say, dragged along uh, to these markets as a child? Or, or did you actually enjoy the sale part? Well, John, I'll tell you, you had just been mentioning Blackberry Jam there yourself, that you're kind of a, an amateur Blackberry Jam maker. And I'll tell you, my first job was... Uh, picking blackberries so they sent us out they sent all the kids out picking blackberries so a cheap source of labor is what i'd say that was but yes i do have fond memories of uh particularly traveling around the country with my dad while he was doing sales calls because although we maybe when i was born we may have had listings in some retailers uh, my dad would go around and service the small independent retailers which is how we kind of got a almost a nationwide distribution and that that was a very 
I suppose you'd say it was a unique experience uh, spending that much time with your dad while he's at work, if you understand my meaning. Yeah, and I mean, if you didn't like jam, uh, you, you were kind of goosed. I mean, I'm presuming <laughs> that you liked the product more than anything else. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I, we grew up in a house that, that very much valued good food, and I think that gave me certainly a good foundation to um, to work in Fulon today. And a lot of the work I do here today, uh, barring the day-to-day, would be recipe design, things like that. So it's something I very much enjoy uh, doing. Okay, uh, let's bring in Laura Houston. Laura, you're involved, as I said, on, on the marketing side of, of the business. Mm. It, it's competitive um, because if you go and look at the standard shelf and, and they have all their planograms set out and you have, yes. to, you have yeah. to exist alongside all of the others, branding is really important. So how did you go about making sure that your product stood out uh, w- yeah. compared to all the own brand stuff that's there uh, and all the more established brands that were there? Exactly that, because when I started, I think 13, 14 years ago, where the business was, was that the quality of the product was there, the recipes, all the fundamentals, and the business had grown um, over the years. So I suppose the next part of the question is, how how do we communicate that we're just as good as what people were buying at the time, which was imported brands? They were market leaders. So a lot of the jam and marmalade that people were buying 10, 15 years ago was imported brands. So the question was, why aren't they buying ours? It was branding was the answer. We weren't branding ourselves correctly. And we've since learned then the the importance of it. And what we did from the get-go was invested a lot into consumer insight and research to understand why certain brands are working and not in our category jam, let's say jam and marmalade. And when we found out the reason to that, it was very clear that we needed to communicate on our pack through distinctive packaging what we were about and what the product was. Can can I give you the the simpleton's approach to why we love your products? It's the lids, right? The the products themselves are lovely when you get to it. But what attracted to us first was the idea that you had this lovely lid. It was like something that your grandmother had kind of done and, and, and stuck a little bit of muslin cloth over the top of it. I'm presuming that I if fell into your trap. If we had spoken to you now 10, 15 years ago, <laughs> we, we wouldn't have needed to do the consumer insight because exactly that. It was as simple as that. Unique packaging that attracts people when they're buying. And in this case, for jam and marmalade, the nostalgic feel around going to a jam shelf and wanting something that reminds you of your grandmother. It was, Jonathan, you've actually just... Oh, there the you go. Can, can I just can so I get a pay rise for Laura Michal? She, she did it right. For a job here. <laughs> it was very simple. It was all the emotions that are evoked when shopping jam and wanting something that reminds you of when you homemade jam. And we knew that the product was there. So we had to design this packaging that reflect that. So my advice would be, to get designers and people who can work on your pack to really understand what's going to be eye-catching. And in our case, it was this lid. It was simple packaging, a unique type of jar, and all of that came together. And then what we had was the product and the brand. And then that was the story then over the last, the growth over the last couple of years, which has been phenomenal and we're, we're very proud of it. So you, you obviously, you, you've moved on from selling it out of the, the boot at the side of the road. Uh, so <laughs> where, where can people see the products now? Everywhere, everywhere. So we're, so we've got nationwide um, distribution with all the big retailers. And, and then obviously we have, and I suppose this has kind of been the innovation over the last couple of years, because that's also been important where we brought out different flavors, more premium varieties that are available then in independent shops. So we've got a really, really broad distribution, both in multiple retails and then independents. Um, um, which, you know, owner-operated, more premium, where we would do unusual products. So, um, yeah, that's... 
Okay, so in other words, the the, the, the machine keeps going, Michal, you better stay in that kitchen and start producing more product. I mean, I, I, is, is there a lot well, of... Well, that's it, Jonathan. It's innovation, innovation. It now is innovation. That, and, now and, that we have the brand, when you set up the foundations, the brand, now we need to look at the next five years and kind of understand where the consumer is going to be yeah. over the next five years. And God knows where that will be. I'm looking at the website now, Michal. I see you've got a, a Christmas spiced marmalade. So you do seasonal things as well. I presume it's a very seasonal business because berries are good at certain times. You don't necessarily want to import stuff if you can if you can grow it yourself. It's You're certainly right, yeah. Um, and mentioning the blackberry again, people often say that they can taste when it's blackberry season from the jam because we get a lot of local pickers bringing blackberries to us and um, I suppose that makes a difference to the flavour if you understand my meaning but yes it is seasonal uh, we have a, an array of products that are appropriate to Christmas and we have a special new product coming out in the next few weeks actually for Christmas which um, I will let you know as the first to know well, go is on, a go cream on. liqueur caramel so we're very excited about that right and what do I do with that then well you eat it straight out of the jar and eat it immediately so you can buy another one <laughs> you see straight away I now want to try that uh, without even without even yes. knowing well I'll, 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 uh, the, I'll expand on that on pavlova desserts your coffee yes. your Christmas coffee there is yeah oh sorry is, actually I could, I, could, I could drizzle it over my pavlova exactly. for the Christmas they see now stra- I'm, I'm straight in lads I mean you, you don't you're pushing an open door I, I give you that much uh, it's available in super values it's available right around the country you've got a wonderful website as well feline.ie thank you very much it's a a wonderful story let's wish you every success thank with you. it Michal Leonard uh, uh, and Laura Hewson thanks so much for joining us on Red Business thank you thank you now we'll get to the jazz in a minute because that always coincides with Halloween which as we know is the spookiest time of the year and we're not talking about the things that scare us like electricity bills or putting the heating on it is of course Halloween itself one trend that's really caught on is pumpkin picking. I've never done it because I didn't know it was a thing. But Sandra Burns from Joe's Farm Crisps in Killa in East Cork, you've been very busy. And in fact, you've been getting pumpkins ready for people to come down and pick, have you? Yes, we are very busy. We started pumpkin picking on our farm five years ago. Um, It was originally started um, basically to show people and kids in particular to do school tours where your food comes from, um, basically, that is not from a supermarket shelf. So it's like you do get, it's a very hands-on experience. You get to pick different vegetables around the farm. And at the end, um, you get to pick your pumpkin. I suppose the draw for us is the pumpkin. um, But the most important thing leaving for us is the bag of veg that people might get to experience and eat different, like rainbow carrots this year, different colours and varieties of carrots that they may not normally um, experience or taste. Okay, so in other words, they, they go home with the stuff they've pulled out of the ground themselves? Yes. Okay. That, the whole reason behind it is that if a kid is involved in like picking, as we call it, dirty carrots straight from the <laughs> ground, um, that they will be more inclined to maybe try it. They mightn't even like it, but want to go home. Um, that's a huge step for us. Yeah, okay, I can see the logic behind that. I, one of the things that I find fascinating is that we grow pumpkins in Ireland. I presumed that we wouldn't have had the climate for them. How easy are they to grow here? They're a bit tricky. Um, well, if you get it right, it's great. Um, you need, like, they start off They start off in um, tunnels. Um, we get company in Burr um, to propagate for them, to propagate for us. 
Um, and then we transplant them out the first week of June. So they're tiny little seeds, um, little transplants that we get. Um, and we transplant them out the first week of June. So ideally, then you need a little bit of rain to get them going, um, to get them propagating. And then you need a lot of heat. Mm. You need the summers that we've had the last few summers has been ideal, really. Um now, Sandra, can I tell you something? Yeah, we had a lovely warm summer, but yeah, we've had an awful lot of rain in the last couple of weeks. Has that, has that impacted upon the uh, the pumpkin growth phase, if I could put it that way? The, the pumpkins will be kind of ready um, kind of mid-September for us. So ideally, we the rain that we've been getting, particularly kind of since last Sunday, kind of all, most of October, really, they would start um, rotting the pumpkins. Mm. If we got had two months of that, um, the pumpkins would start rotting. So the, I suppose... It has been good. The weather has been good and ideal all along. You want it to kind of stay dry and not too hot um, because your pumpkins are finished growing in September. But just once it's dry, um, pumpkins will last. Um, it's just this weather, unfortunately, like in particular this week now, yeah. we've seen a lot of decay. Um, but like anything, Joe, it's it's kind of coming to the end. Yeah, um, well, we're nearly there. We'll be carving them next week, so you're at that point. Put out the child to prank. Yeah. That seems to be the universal solution yes, in Ireland. Out. It's out. Very good. <laughs> out this week. Uh, yes. Did you break the head off the child to prank, which I always think is a cruel practice uh, in some parts of the country? Or is it? It is was it... broken off um, the time we got married, so okay. it's still off. <laughs> it's still off. <laughs> Tell us what else. You, you also produce crisps down there on Joe's farm. Tell us about them. We, we do. Uh, we're over eight and a half years Um producing vegetable crisps, beetroot crisps and different coloured mixed potato crisps. Um, so it was like we've been vegetable farming with years. Um, we originally did farmers markets in Cork for 13 years and eight and a half years ago um, between price wars with supermarkets selling veg at five cent, we knew we had to change and diversify the way we were um, running our vegetable business. So we had Joe and myself um, 20 years ago um this time of the year, we went over to Joe's sister in Boston and we went pumpkin picking, apple picking, and we saw vegetables, crisps. Um, we loved all the whole experience. Never in our wildest dreams did we ever think that we'd end up doing all, all of them. Um, but here we are. It's, yeah. Um, and still you go, have to change and, and, and diversify. Absolutely. And, and still going strong. And, and how do people respond to the parsnip crisps? Because the automatic assumption is that it'd be an old spud or two that you'd, 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 uh, you'd be eating with your, with your pint or, or your lunch. Yeah, um, it's, we got great reaction. Um, I suppose we were, were the first company um, that ever grew and produced vegetable crisps on a farm. So, like, we were always growing um, carrots, um, beetroot and parsnips. So it was the natural thing to go into um, veg crisps. Everyone thought we were mad, <laughs> but um, <laughs> they probably still do. But we we knew in our hearts that it would work. It took a while for Joe to convert people, especially beetroot people, I suppose, were used to pickle beetroot in a jar. And um, when they were tasting the crisps, then it, they were getting the sweetness of the natural beetroot that comes through and they couldn't get over that taste so um like you get the taste of the parsnip the sweetness of the carrot um it's it's going great um we've this year has been brilliant for us in that we've got into a lot of five-star hotels um that are using them as welcome packs in their bedrooms and also garnishing um sandwiches so 
that's kind of a new direction that we're going down, which is brilliant for us. Um, it's kind of a consistent thing. Um, we're in a lot of independent stores. We're in Super Value. Um, that's what started. It has been all word of mouth, okay. which has been brilliant. That's fantastic. So, and it's very similar to the last story that we were just talking about in Falon and their experience in a different side, but the jam side, uh, whereas yeah. you, you're doing it on the crisp side. Uh, the old pumpkin picking is very popular. I think it's sold out already. So w- when are you going to have the hordes descending upon you to pick the pumpkins? Um, we had we started the 8th of October, so it's just Saturday and Sundays this year because um, the way the midterm is falling is falling the first week of November. Um, so we're on to our third weekend. It's This is our busiest weekend. The closer you get to Halloween, the busier it gets. So, um, yeah, it's all hands on deck. Um, okay. And they all and go, home, they go home with their big pumpkin. Where's wellies is the main thing coming to the farm. <laughs> yes, yeah, so the, the, no, the notice has got out. Sandra, it's a fantastic story. What's the website if people want to look you up? It's joesfarmchris.ie joesfarmcrisps.ie down in Killa in East Cork Sandra Burns thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us thanks very much the Guinness Cork Jazz Festival is back with a swinging bang it begins on the bank holiday weekend bringing live music to the streets of Cork as well as venues all over the city including the original home of the jazz 44 festivals ago the Metropole Hotel Roger Russell General Manager of the Met how you doing Roger? I'm doing great, Jonathan. How are you today? I'm very well. Now, you had a slightly slimmed down version of it last year. So you had some people through the door, but not as many as you liked. Have you got a bigger, bigger event planned this year? Oh, we do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, as you say, last year was was very different. And we did we did have to slim it down for because of COVID and the restrictions. But thankfully, that's all. That's those restrictions are no longer in place. Um, so we're yeah we're looking forward to a really really busy um, jazz festival again this year and uh, yeah no it's going to be great it's going to be great to get back to the numbers and, that we would have seen in the past and it's such a it's such a huge event for Cork and 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 the lift that it gives to all the businesses the local economy and and you know, even even the atmosphere in the in the street it's it's a real party atmosphere carnival atmosphere and it's great to see so many people out and about. Now, the thing about the Metropole is it's such a big venue that you've got loads of little bits and pieces going on. You've got the main bar, you've got the lobby, you've got the rooms upstairs, uh, you've got the small little nooks and crannies where people will gather as well. So w- what are you looking forward to most? Having the, having the people into, in the hotel for the jazz festival, the buzz, the atmosphere. Um, we've, got some, we've got some great bands lined up. Uh, you know, we have the the Swing Cats are back again this year. We have uh, Judith Owen coming in from the UK and Pixie and the Gypsies. We have the 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 great local jazz musicians like Gary Bouse and the Motones. Harry Connolly will be with us again. The orchestra, the underscore orchestra, will be with us. You know, so there's going to be some really really great music over the weekend. So yeah, it's going to be really good. Looking forward to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's over a thousand musicians and artists from 20 countries and 70 venues. You are but one. What is it about the Met, though, that makes it the focal point? Is it just that history, the fact that it started there? Well, we're the festival club, it, it, and it did start here. And it, we, it, it's the heart of the jazz festival, um, and it continues to be the, the heart of the jazz festival. It's synonymous with jazz in Cork. And, it, you know, people come here because of that. Um, so it, it has a lot of culture and a lot of history about, about the jazz. Um, and we're very, we're very cognizant of that. And it's something that we work very hard to try and protect. 
Uh, when you're doing this though, Roger, can you get a break? I mean, is it just full on for you? Do you get to enjoy the jazz festival at all? Or are you one of these people who waits until Monday evening, then has t- breathes out when all the jazz is finished and goes for a nice relaxing night out yourself? The jazz, the jazz is the jazz is full on, um, but I I do try to sample some of the the, the bands. Um, I don't really get to stay too long with a particular act, um, but I kind of I tend to to pop in and out to each stage and just you know just to to make sure that it's um, that it's going well and people are enjoying it. So it all kicks off on the twenty eighth. So it is the twenty eighth of October, and then the events really just run through until the Monday. Yeah, so it's it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, as you say. Uh, so our first uh, jazz gig here in the Metropole is at four o'clock on Friday afternoon, um, and it runs all the way through. And our very last one kicks off then at twelve o'clock on Monday night. So yeah, it's it's all the way through here at the Metropole. Yeah, and, and yeah, our tickets left are they all gone at this stage? If you're not in, you can't win, kind of thing. There's still a few tickets going around. Um, we with yeah, absolutely. There are still one or two tickets floating around. If you go onto our website, you might just get you might get lucky. Okay, Guinness. And we'll always look, we'll always look after you, Jonathan. You're famous. <laughs> rock up and knock in. I expect that now. I'm going to, I'll get turned away by security, and it'll be hilarious. It'll be great. Guinnesscorkjazz.com is the website if you want to have a look. Roger Russell and the team at the Metropole. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, and best of luck. Thanks, Jonathan. If you are going jazzing, do enjoy it. That is it from this episode of Red Business. Thank you so much for listening. Fiona Corcoran was the producer. Don't forget, Red Business in Focus is on the website, redfm.ie, along with every episode of this podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.